2: It's a new week, although for the team it was a rough week, that's for sure. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Only one game the Avalanche were able to get in between our last show and this one. But I gotta tell you, gosh do I love those third jerseys. I love the triangular logo. I love the C in there from the state flag. I love the state flag on the jerseys. Love the white shoulders. Oh, I love everything about them. I'm a grown man, I will be honest with you. It is one of the newer jerseys that I've actually purchased. I'm not ashamed of it. I love the logo. I love everything about it. What do you think? Best logo in hockey right now? I don't think it's the best logo in hockey. I love it, but I just don't think it's the best one. It's close. It's close with the current ABS logo, right? The regular one that they've always had, but I I don't know if the alternate one is the best. It's up there for me. Don't get me wrong. And I'm talking current logos, not throwback logos. Nothing that had been around in the past. You want to know what the best logo is currently? I'm going to tell you right now and you're going to be mad at me, but I don't care. It's the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, I said it. It is. The Wild have the best logo in hockey. They might have the best logo in sports. Abs are pretty close, but eh, it's not quite there. But boy, give me the Abs third jersey all day long. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get to the show and talk about things that matter. Welcome to the Believe in Avalanche podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Eric Pesolano. I'm going to take you through last week which was very, very abbreviated. Talk about what's going on with the team right now, being in the middle of COVID protocols. We'll take you around the league too, and later on we're going to talk to Mike McKenna from AT&T Sportsnet Rocky Mountain about the Vegas Golden Knights because currently that is the next scheduled opponent for Colorado. We will see whether or not that happens. Of course, the team's still fighting through some of those positive tests. We know one more has been added to the list. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. You want to follow along with the podcast? You can head to Twitter, at Believe in at B-L-E-A-V. In Avs is the handle. Go ahead and tweet your thoughts about the show. About the team, I want to hear them. We'll talk about it on the air. The new poll that's going to go up right now, who has the best logo in the National Hockey League? You're going to have a few options. I can't fit all 31 of them in there. And I'm not putting any alternate logos in there too, even though I love the Avs alternate logo very, very much. Reverse retros also will not be included. We're talking current 31 logos. Tell me which one's the best. I'll put up a few options for you to choose from. We'll talk about it on the show. Last week's poll question, we asked you, who is the biggest key to the Avalanche success in the postseason? You had four options. Three of them were players. One of them was the field. But Philip Grubauer, 83% of you said, Philip Grubauer is the number one key to the team's success going forward. I love it. Because I agree, goaltending wins you championships. I love Nathan McKinnon. And I love Kale McCarr. You know that. But you gotta have a goalie. A lot of you folks out there also thought Nathan McKinnon is the biggest key. But I'm sticking with Grubauer. Even though I love Nathan McKinnon, hopefully he gets back soon. I'm trying to get healthy after that lower body injury, whatever it was. And hopefully we'll see him on the ice sometime within the next week or so. Don't forget, you can also hit me up on Twitter at Eric underscore Same handle on Instagram. If you want to chat at me, go ahead and follow. For this podcast, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. I want to hear your thoughts. Again, I try to improve every week. You may be sick of me by now. I've only been doing this for a few weeks. I'm trying to get better for you. Jeez, just lay off me for a little bit. My goodness. I'm just kidding. I love you. You know that. So as we get things started on the show here today, we have to give... Our condolences to the family of Ralph Backstrom, of course, who was the founder of the Colorado Eagles, who are now the Avalanche AHL affiliate. team was founded in 2002 as part of the Central Hockey League, worked their way up through the ranks to get to the AHL. Well, that's all due to Ralph Backstrom, who played over a 1,000 games in the National Hockey League with the Canadiens, Kings, and Blackhawks between 1956 and 1973, won the Calder Trophy in 1959 with the Canadiens, and won six Stanley Cups. You know, there's only nine players that have ever won more than six. Well, Ralph was a part of six teams that did win it. Also won the ECHL Lifetime Achievement Award back in 2013, and more locally, coached at the University of Denver for nine years. Won the Coach of the Year Award in 1986, inducted to the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame in 2008. Who knows where the Avalanche AHL affiliate would be if it wasn't for Ralph. We talk a lot about... Teams relocating their franchises, getting them closer to home. You could look at the Pacific Division. Well, I guess this year it's a combination between the North Division and the West Division, but a lot of the regular Pacific Division teams moved their franchises closer to home. Anaheim did it, right? They moved the team from Virginia to San Diego. The Kings did it. They had the team in Manchester and then relocated the franchise to Ontario, California, a lot closer. For those of you unaware, Ontario and L.A., It's not a hop, skip, and a jump. It's very close, in the grand scheme of where other teams are. But if you live in the area, you know Ontario and LA aren't terribly close. Easy access to get there. Just takes a drive or two. You know how traffic is down here in SoCal. It ain't great. But it's a lot closer than having to go to Manchester, I'll tell you that right now. So who knows where the Avs AHL affiliate would be if it weren't for Ralph Backstrom. Condolences to him as he passed away last week. The owner and CEO of the Colorado Eagles, Martin Lind, had this to say about Ralph. Ralph Backstrom was the most honorable gentleman I've ever encountered in my professional life, and he was single-handedly responsible for professional hockey in northern Colorado. When you have a guy who's got all those accolades to his credit, you gotta think sometime soon he's gonna find his way into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Okay, let's take a look at last week now. One game that was actually played, hard-fought victory for the Avs, playing very, very shorthanded. Nathan McKinnon was out, Eric Johnson didn't play... Devon Taves, you know, some of the usual suspects still not quite back on the ice just yet. But Avalanche did take care of business. Philip Grubauer, who I just mentioned ago, the biggest key to getting the Avs a cup this year, was absolutely on fire the other night. So on fire, in fact, he was my number one star. Stopping 27 of 28 shots against the Wild in that victory. I ended up giving Logan O'Connor the number two star and Kel McCarr the number three star. O'Connor with a goal... Kale had another point there with an assist. But usually in 2-1 games you're gonna give it to the defense. So we throw Connor some love in there offensively because you still do, no matter what they tell you, have to score goals to win a hockey game. I know, breaking news. Let's walk you through the game real quick. Early on, you know, Dry's got that interference call in front of the net about three and a half minutes in, and Minnesota, they had an opportunity or two. Drew Bauer had a had a glove stop on that power play, and right there, twenty-three consecutive power play kills for the Avalanche. Conversely, not really shocked when it's the Wild because they had the worst power play in the National Hockey League at that moment. So there wasn't a whole lot of shock going on there. But grew stepped up big in that first period. Avs had a couple of power plays themselves. They really couldn't get anything going. couple of scrums in front of the net on that first one, but couldn't score. A couple of defensive zone turnovers again for Colorado. And those are the things that we've been harping on. Can't have them. You cannot have them against teams... I would say especially in your own division, but since this year, every game is in division, so even more important. But near the end of the first period, Logan O'Connor got his second of the year. Hard work goal in front of the net, too. Was able to shove that one home. Sherwood and Makar had the assists. Good finish to the period. Love to see them get one late, and more importantly, not give one up late, as they headed the locker room up one to nothing. Second period, Avs had a couple of good pushes. Offensively, still couldn't find a way to score. Then the Wild went on the power play after Logan O'Connor got caught for high sticking and Minnesota just couldn't score again. At that point, two for the last 41 on the power play and the Abs had killed off 24 consecutive power plays. Abs turn around not too long later. Nachushkin crashes the net, gets the rebound off that Donskoy shot. Looked like Suter fell asleep a little bit in front there on Nachushkin who kind of snuck in behind him and then Valerie gets his second goal of the year. Grubauer got a big stop a little bit later after a defensive zone turnover with Greenway in front of the net. And then the moment of the game. Didn't result in a goal. But Kale McCarr, oh my goodness, with the handles, breaking ankles, things you only see on a basketball court. That's the hockey equivalent of a crossover right there. And Kale was able to shake a defenseman. Didn't score, but that was the highlight reel of the game. You know it, I know it, don't even argue with me. I'm sure I'll hear about it on Twitter. Whatever. JT Comfer gets in a scrum. The two matching 37s getting into it. Really the first time we saw a fight this year with this team. It had been a couple of dust-ups, but this was the first time we actually saw somebody get into a fight. Comfer gets the extra unsportsmanlike conduct penalty during that scuffle. I'm not really sure why. Seemed pretty mutual there in the fisticuffs department, but what are you going to do? And it all leads to Minnesota getting the goal that ended up bringing the Wild back to within one. Caprice off from Parise in the slot. The penalty kill streak ends at 24 for the Avalanche. Can't be upset about that streak. You're not going to stop in a row like that very often during a season. So bravo there. Jerry Mayhew got an assist on that goal. He's the reigning AHL MVP up with the Minnesota Wild, getting some time in right now with their issues going on with COVID as well. Of course, they're in the midst of, A pause, not being able to play, but good to see the young kids getting up there, getting a shot. Other than that, rest of that period, nothing doing. Could argue there were a couple calls that were missed there against Colorado, meaning sending the abs to the power play, but other than that, you go to the third with a lead, feeling pretty good about yourself. They get a power play pretty quick to start the third period. A couple of big saves in front by Grubauer when they were shorthanded as Hartman came in all by himself. And then right off the faceoff, Grubauer had to make a save right after that play, so good goaltending by Gru, shorthanded. And there's going to be moments like that through the season where you need your goaltender to step up, and he certainly did there. Next thing we hear the reports, that Jared Spurgeon is not on the bench for the Wild. He misses the rest of the game. Fourth line steps up for Colorado, but that third period in the first half, and pretty much the first three quarters of it, not much going on. It was just kind of neutral hockey for a good 15 minutes or so. Dries tried to make something happy. Susie had an open net. He ended up missing. Saad could have put it away. He had a chance. Couldn't quite bury it. And then near the end, big scramble in front. But defense stands up. Grubauer makes the saves he needs to. Avalanche win it 2-1 to get their 14th and 15th points in the standings on the season. Things looking real good right now for the Avs. And that's the last time anything good happened to the team. Because as we all know, It has been a nightmare of a week, but we knew these things were probably going to happen. Lots of postponements so far this season due to either positive tests or through contact tracing, right? Close contact. The big question is, could this have been avoided? I don't mean could this have been avoided and the answer being, yeah, don't play any games. I understand that. The question is, how can this be avoided if you're going to play games or play a full season? The answer apparently here is, why did they play this particular game? Minnesota knew they had a positive test. They knew there was contact tracing. They removed the players. I don't want to say the wild. It's the league. They removed the players, but still had the team's play, still had the team's practice. You find out a linesman tested positive also. So there's a real chance here that this is spreading during gameplay, or at least out on the ice, whenever these two teams congregate. That's a real concern. You've got to figure out how to curb this thing. You've got to figure out how to keep people even more safe. The bubble worked great. This season, if you're looking at how it's gone so far compared to the bubble, it's been a disaster. There's really no other way to put it. I don't like to be that negative Nancy person. I do it in my own time when I'm by myself. I'm a negative person. (laughs) But in the grand scheme of things, I sit down, I calm down for a minute, and I realize, all right, time to be a little bit more positive. But in this case, it's not being handled very well. You're losing a lot of games due to postponements so far this year. More importantly, these guys are picking up the virus and potentially bringing it home. I I know that's the high-level grand scheme, looking at the big-picture thing. Something's got to be done. Removing the glass behind the benches... It's great for aesthetics. Kind of weird how we've gotten to that point. We started all of this when sports were coming back by saying, let's put up glass dividers between the broadcasters or put glass dividers when you go into a meeting room or a conference room. You know, if it was going to be meet in person, not so much doing Zoom meetings. And now we've gotten to a point where it's, all right, we'll get the glass out of there because it's enclosing these guys and there's not a whole lot of ventilation. Things like this go full circle all the time. Not that we've seen anything like this in our lifetimes. But the way everything is shaping up, you got to be concerned about the remainder of this regular season. You hope the league can get these games in and keep the guys safe so they can go out there and somebody can lift that Stanley Cup at the end of this 56-game season plus playoffs. But it's getting real dicey out there right now. Real, real dicey. be interesting to see how they're able to handle this going forward. The Avalanche are currently scheduled to get back out onto the ice this weekend when they take on the Vegas Golden Knights. But you gotta wonder, are they gonna have enough guys able to play? We know two players tested positive. Sam Girard is added to that list now. It's now three, and he was added a couple days ago. This could spread further before the week is up, which is devastating. You don't want this to happen to anybody. Are they going to be able to take the ice this weekend? I got to be honest with you, it doesn't look great. We hope they do. We're going to take a look at the Vegas Golden Knights a little bit later on. I mentioned Mike McKenna from AT&T Sportsnet Rocky Mountain is going to join us to talk about the Golden Knights. I'm going to ask him, this is a little bit of foreshadowing, I'm going to ask him how the Vegas Golden Knights dealt with the pause, because the Avalanche are going through it right now. Knights have seemed to come out a little bit on the positive end as far as ice play is concerned couple of wins against the Kings. They look pretty good. They scored nine goals in two games. You can't be upset about that. So I wonder what his thoughts are going to be on how these teams handled this pause. This one for the Wild and the Avalanche seems a little bit different. Seems to be spreading a little bit more than it was for Vegas, than it was for LA. Don't even get me started on the other two divisions, especially with Buffalo and New Jersey, having more games postponed. You can throw in a couple other teams in the mix there as well. It's not good on the East Coast right now. And in the West, it's starting to spread out here too. And you hate to say it, you wonder if the league is going to have to pull that emergency break. That's a term that's been used a lot, especially out here in Southern California over the past few months. Do you pull that emergency break and maybe put a stop to the season for a little bit? Don't know. Obviously, I do not do this podcast live. Who knows what could happen between the time I edit this all together and you hear it. There's probably going to be more developments. So we'll find out. And we'll see if the games can take place over the weekend. But the good news was, the Avalanche did win their most recent game. And they now have 15 points in the standings. They are tied atop the Honda NHL West Division at current time with the Vegas Golden Knights. They both have 15 points, of course. The Knights have played less games. So points percentage-wise, they are in first place. Both teams will probably catch up as far as games played are concerned. Assuming they play each other this weekend. Now because the Avalanche and Wild were postponed... That opened up their opponents, the Coyotes and the Blues, who ended up setting up a two-game set this week. Combined, it turned into a six-game series over the next week and a half because of the rescheduling. But good news for Colorado and for Vegas. Out of the first three times they played each other, Arizona won two of those games. How about that? Stealing points away from the Blues. That's something that you want to see out of these teams who are hanging out down there near the bottom. You figure the bottom four teams... In the division are probably Arizona, San Jose, LA, and Anaheim. So anytime any of those four can grab some points from the top four, it's only going to benefit the Avalanche in the long run. Just have to have to keep pressing. Have to keep pressing forward whenever it is that Colorado's going to take the ice again. They've got to come out there just like they did in that second game of the season, not so much the first game, when they absolutely ran the Blues out of the building. This is almost like another non-preseason, except the team can't even practice. So hopefully they're able to get to the ice before this weekend, maybe for a practice or so, just to get their legs back under them before they play the Knights. But we'll find out as time progresses. You're listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Eric Pesolano. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Pesolano. It's the same handle on Instagram. You can follow the podcast at Believe in Avs on Twitter, also at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. And go ahead and let me hear your thoughts about everything going on with the team right now. All right, let's move on. It's time for Know Your Foe. We're going to talk a little bit about the Vegas Golden Knights. Originally, we were going to talk about the Arizona Coyotes too, but those games have been postponed. So we will talk about the Vegas Golden Knights. And joining me here today, you know him from AT&T Sportsnet, Rocky Mountain, a studio analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights. He's also the host of Six Degrees of Mike McKenna, right here on the Believe Podcast Network. You can listen to him on Spotify. Mike McKenna is here. Mike, thanks for joining me. Hey, happy to, man. Anytime we get the chance to talk hockey, it's always a good day. Oh, it's my favorite time of the week when when I sit down and do this once a week. All right, so let's kick it off. We'll we'll start on a little bit of a negative note, right? The the avalanche are in the midst of uh, a pandemic pause uh, right now. Vegas went through pretty much the exact same thing not too long ago give avalanche nation, if you will, just a little bit of a sense of what it was like for the team to have to go through that before they got back to play.
0: Well, it's interesting because the golden Knights didn't really miss a beat. They came back, they've won two straight, uh, in pretty convincing fashion against LA who's, you know, LA has been okay, right? They're a mid pack team. They're finding themselves and VGK is a wheel, man. Like this is a big, powerful club. So like you'd expect them to beat LA, but they looked good doing it for most of the games. And what I look at it and think of is, you know, they didn't really have anybody that came out of it seemed to be missing a beat. You know, like it it seemed to be okay for the club, but Alex Petrangelo is still out of the lineup. Um, and it seemed like it really went through the coaching staff more so than players for Vegas in, ter- in, in terms of who was actually in COVID protocol. And we have to remember too that COVID protocol can just mean that you were in proximity to somebody who had it as well. So, you know, we don't always know reasons for why people are put into it other than exposure or potentially having it. So uh, I think that the Golden Knights were definitely happy that, you know, listen, like No way has been really sick. You know, this is still a pandemic, like, and it's a very, very real virus that's hurting people. And um, like Kuznetsov today with the Capitals came out and said, yeah, it wasn't easy. And Anton Hudobin has said the same thing. So I think anytime you get through it without anybody really battling serious health consequences. You feel first, that's your first uh, frame of reference and happiness, but secondary is trying to come out, trying to find your game as quick as you can. And it didn't phase the golden Knights. It was basically like they had an all-star an extended all-star break. They went, you know, imaginary, imagine that they went to Aruba for like a week and came back, which it's kind of like, it's not really like quarantining, but it's, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it. um, it was wild. It didn't really seem to phase him, as and we're talking nine days off. It's a lot.
2: Yeah, that, that is a long pause for the middle of the season. I, I think you answered the next question I had pretty well. Was going to be individually and in some of the players. Do you notice anything different, or has it pretty much just been picking up where they left off? I really haven't at all. I, you know, I think that for the Golden
0: Knights, especially the the time that was off previous to the bubble. You know, when everything went on pause in March, and we took a couple months to get back to playing. Golden Knights had some young players that really took advantage of that. Defenseman Nick Haig, Cody Glass forward. Like we're talking about these guys that really put on muscle and worked on their game in ways not necessarily on the ice, but off the ice mentally, physically. And I think across the league you're seeing that that we're really adaptable nowadays, you know, and you have to be. So you have to find ways to to, one, keep yourself occupied, but two, to improve your game. So it's not like – it's not like the guys are going out, sitting around the fire, having a couple smokes with the buddies. You know what I mean? Like that's not what happens in today's world anymore, right? These are finely tuned athletes that are very well aware of what they need to be, need to do to be successful, even when there's breaks like
2: this. Right. When you, when you look at the scope of the season now as we switch gears to the players themselves and how the season has gone so far, Mark Stone named the first captain in franchise history I'd imagine he wears it like a badge of honor as he should because that's what it is. Have you noticed any type of pep in his step and has his game improved since he took over the sea?
0: I would say so. I mean, he's scoring at the best rate of his career right now. And part of that's playing alongside Max Pacioretty. These are two guys that just have incredible teamwork with one another. Um, they're fighting themselves all over the ice. It's, it's instant chemistry to where you can tell they don't even need to talk anymore. Of course they are. Um, <laughs> but you have that intuition. And I mean, Mark Stone's got 14 points in nine games. You know, his playmaking skill is has always been paramount. He's scored a couple goals. Uh, he's on, He's got three for the season. But to me, it's just the level that people follow him. You know, I played with Mark Stone in Ottawa and saw the way he was in the room. And he should have been the captain in Ottawa, but they didn't, you know, the team doesn't give him a long-term contract and things are goofy there and Hmm. extraneous things keep that from happening. Well, in my eyes, midway through last season, the 1920 season, I thought Mark Stone was the captain of the Vegas Golden Knights. And that's not just for me being his teammate and knowing, but just watching the way he plays with the passion and emotion and big things at the right moments, just watching the team follow him. He was the right guy for the job. He's responded to it. And he looks like he's having fun. You know, you're always your best in life and in sports when you're having fun. And he's got that infectious personality that everybody on the team just gravitates
2: towards. You, you mentioned Alex Petrangelo. Of course, uh, hopefully he, he returns soon, right? It looks like that's, that's going to be the case. What has he added to this team, and how well has he fit in with the rest of the club?
0: Well, he's added a right shot defenseman that plays a lot of minutes. Uh, and I would, I would classify his play so far as being a work in progress, which is crazy because we're talking about a top 60 in the league, <laughs> top, you know, whatever you want to call it, potential Norris Trophy winner at times. And, uh, and I think really he's been fine. You know, he's fit in. He hasn't been great, but you can see where his game will get to that level again. You know, we didn't have, there was no exhibition games, right? So Petrangelo, other players who've moved to different teams, they're learning on the job as the season goes. Generally, you've got four or five games to work out those kinks in the preseason, So it was coming for him, right? He was starting to learn how Pete DeBoer wants the team to break out. That was very different than St. Louis. You know, Vegas likes to force the wall. St. Louis uses the middle more often. Power plays a little bit different, running through the point uh, in in different ways, out to the flanks in comparison, once again, Vegas to St. Louis. So uh, this is a guy who spent the better part of a dozen years in one organization. He'd never been anywhere else. Um, So I think he's been acclimating fine, and I expect his game to to get right back to what it was seen in St. Louis. But the X factor to this now is that he's really the perfect complement and the perfect foil for Shea Theodore. You know, Shea Theodore is the number one defenseman on the Vegas Golden Knights, Mm -hmm. and Alex Petrangelo insulates him. He makes his minutes a little bit easier because he's not always facing the top pairing, which is a huge advantage for the Golden
2: Knights. My friends here in Southern California love hearing that Shea Theodore is the Best defenseman <laughs> on the Vegas Golden Knights.
0: I'm sure that's a sore <laughs> sore spot. Yeah, and it'll be. It's always interesting when those teams play, right? Because Dallas Eakins, who's now the coach of the Anaheim Ducks, was say Theodore's coach in San Diego, yep. and really is credited with helping grow Shea's game. So very interesting dynamic at play there, too.
2: I want to. I'm going to go off on a tangent real quick because you brought up San Diego. You know, uh, earlier in the show, I talked about Ralph Backstrom and how instrumental he was in in bringing the Colorado Eagles. Uh, into fruition and ultimately up to the ahl so you have a ahl team not too far away from the big club now the vegas golden knights get to enjoy that same luxury with the henderson silver knights how has the reception of the team been in that area and how cool is it to be able to go check out an ahl game right in the backyard
0: it's wild. And you know, for me, it's got a personal connection because I played in the Orleans arena where the Henderson silver Knights are going to spend this season and next until their brand new home in Henderson is ready. I played there for the Las Vegas Wranglers of the ECHL from <laughs> 2005 to seven. And I'm doing color commentary for 10 games this year on TV for the Henderson silver Knights broadcast. And I was walking in the Orleans last night or two nights ago, I apologize. And, and, just looked around and I went, this is the most surreal thing in the world to me. I started my career here. The Wranglers have been gone for seven or eight years now. The Vegas Golden Knights come in and nobody knows how that's going to go. Well, it goes crazy. The city is bonkers for the team at hockey. And then on top of it, they bring in an American League club, sell out the season tickets. And, you know, that's, of course, the hard part here. Like, it's so hard to walk into that building and not have the fans there to start. Like everyone's so anxious for that to happen. They're doing some really unique things. They have a town crier comes out when the huh. silver Knights score blows a big <laughs> bugle and unrolls a big sc- a scroll to say who had a goal and assist. And um, it's just amazing, you know, to see how hockey's grown here, much like in, in Southern California, you know, LA, San Diego, I would even say even going out to Ontario and Bakersfield and areas that are that are near enough to L.A. within striking distance. The game's grown so much across the United States.
2: I have yet to reveal this on this podcast in the first five weeks uh, I've done this show, but I'm very close with the Anaheim Ducks High School Hockey League, and we, in fact, go out to Las Vegas at least once a year and and play games at City National Arena. And uh, this upcoming year, eventually, you know, when everything gets Back to some sort of normalcy. We'll play at Lifeguard Arena as well, and I think my favorite thing about those two buildings are how similar they are. So that way, if any of the Silver Knights get called up and have to go practice at City National Arena, it looks like the exact same place. You know, one's <laughs> yeah. got a little bit more amenities than the other, but it's basically the same building. So that's got to be cool.
0: It's kind of Groundhog Day for the yeah. guys. i You know, the biggest thing is that the guy, the the players get to live in the same city. Mm-hmm. You know, and they find housing, and whether you're going over to Henderson. Or whether you're going to Summerlin on either side of the city, you get one place and that's where you live. And from somebody like myself who spent the better part of 14 years going up and down and all around, and uh, got the highest level of Marriott points rewards you could ever imagine, <laughs> not because I paid for it, somebody else did. It's such an advantage. It's so nice to have. You know, it, it's tough when you're you hop a flight and suddenly you're you're playing in Portland, Maine, but your affiliate is in. Scottsdale Glendale Arizona you know (laughs) so that's uh it's always an interesting situation but yeah it's a good deal for all everybody in the Golden Knights organization
2: and that's without even mentioning that there's a a nice place that you can make a pit stop between Summerlin and Henderson but we'll leave that for another podcast on another day (laughs) the Vegas (laughs) flu it was very real the first
0: season it's amazing how many teams went from staying at casinos to now staying at
2: non-casino properties the second and third seasons strange how that worked out didn't it yeah I, yeah I heard some stories that will you know that will forever live in the vault I'll, t- but, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you this
0: i when i played for the wranglers the the word was smart teams win on saturday night in vegas and we didn't lose <laughs> often
2: <laughs> hey that's a that's a great philosophy to live by we'll stick with that you, you talk about um how Or what the uh, perception of the team was going to be, the Golden Knights, when they first started in the city. Obviously, it has blown up because they have done so well in the first few years. What is the mood around the team every year? Knowing you're probably going to be a favorite at least for the next few seasons, with the way the organization is run and the expectations around the league.
0: Well, the first season, look at that, and everybody thought, okay, we've got a team. This is great. And I, you know, I've got friends in this city from when I played here. They've remained here after their playing careers, and. You know, at the start of the first inaugural season, a couple of things happen. There was the mass shooting that took place, and Derek Anglin takes the mic and does an unbelievable job. And people rallied around it in this city. It was amazing to see. And they needed it. They needed something to call their own in Vegas. They didn't have that before. They'd never had a sports team at the top level that was theirs. You know, and even the Raiders, they're a transplant. So it's mixed feelings. The golden Knights are theirs. So that was the first thing that happened in this terrible, terrible thing in the world and in life became a positive in some ways for people here and for them to rally around the team. And then they just kept winning and it turned into, you know, like my friends that were here saying, Oh, I've got these tickets. What are we going to do for 41 nights? You know, at the start of the year they, they can't, they're trying to give them away or sell them. And, and then it turned into the hottest ticket in town that you can't get. Um, it's wild, you know, but the the hard part is that it sets the expectations so high, like you have to win. And now it's, you know, the team pivoted from a six year plan to a three year plan, you know, <laughs> in terms of being competitive and winning a cup because they exceeded all expectations Like knocked it out of the park, George McPhee, Kelly McCrimmon, knocked it out of the park in the expansion draft. And they're still reaping the rewards of that they were able to use some of those some of those draft picks, some of those players to get people like Max Petrietti and Mark Stone to get Alex Petrangelo, the bar's high. And you know what? There's a lot of pressure that comes with it, but the excitement of knowing that this team has an opportunity to win the Stanley cup with this lineup, man, fans are amped and they, they want it. Uh, and they expect it, but you always have to make sure you caution that, Hey, there's still 31 teams and it is the hardest trophy to win in all the sports. If you ask me,
2: well, I hope I believe you, 100%. I will never have that chance, but I definitely <laughs> believe that. That's for sure. You look at the Colorado Avalanche, their first year in Denver, they end up going and, and winning a Stanley Cup. Vegas almost uh, got to the top of the mountain there in their first season. Do you notice any similarities between that first-year Vegas team and that first-year Avalanche team in Denver?
0: Uh, it's the I think they're pretty different scenarios, really. You know, that Aval- that Avalanche team really was built from the inside when it was the Quebec Nordiques, all those great draft picks that came through, you know, Sackick and Forsberg. And then to me, when Patrick Waugh showed up, that's when everything changed, you know? And I do think you could take that similarity with the Golden Knights too. Probably the patcheretti trade or the Stone trade, That the trajectory of the franchise really took off when those happened, because that's when management said, okay, we can do this. It's It's time to take a run, guys. We're going for it. We're going to put the chips in. You know, we're Vegas. We might as well, I guess. But, uh, and they have full support from ownership with it. They want to win, go for it. We're you're going to spend in the cap. We're going to do what it takes. Um, so I see the similarity in terms of arrivals like that. Um, being an actual expansion team, doing what Vegas did is just so unique though. Like really the way that they played the expansion draft and the way the players responded, you know, it's on the players to play that way. These were guys who were the misfits, you know, they nobody wanted them. Well, teams wanted them, but they wanted them on their third or fourth line. You know, yeah. Will Carlson was on the fourth line in Columbus and he shows up in Vegas and he pots 43 goals, gets nicknamed Wild Bill and gets rewarded <laughs> with a six year contract, you know? So um, there was a lot of chip on the shoulder mentality back then for sure.
2: I almost wonder if the folks up in Seattle are shaking a little bit that they may not get the exact same opportunity just because (laughs) of the success of the Knights after after that expansion draft.
0: Tall task. Yep. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So now this season with everything going on and realignment happening, we fast forward to this season. Colorado and Vegas, last time they met, was in the bubble in Edmonton in that final game of the round robin. An overtime game, Vegas wanted, of course, to take the number one seed going into the postseason. Is there any carryover from that coming into this year now knowing that these are probably the two best teams in that West division and they have to play eight times?
0: Maybe not from that particular game, but without question, these teams are fully aware who's considered the big dogs in the Honda West, right? I mean, everybody looked at it off the start and went, okay, Vegas, Colorado, and St. Louis. And so far it's been right. You know, St. Louis is hovering at the top. Colorado's been very strong. Um, Minnesota's surprised some people, I think, in a good way. But really, it's it's the big three up top, and uh, I I think the, my feeling is that the players on the Golden Knights look at Colorado Avalanche and think this is really who we're going up against. You know, you look at that lineup, and I mean, it, it's not good to have McKinnon out, you know, as as he is, but man, McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, and the defense. I mean, McCarr. When you can get somebody out of college or junior that makes an impact like that, Calder, you know rookie of the year type of player makes all the difference in the world. And I I think too, like looking at the people have questioned the goaltending of Colorado. And I've always thought that was a little silly because the only thing I question is the durability, not the ability. It's the durability, not the ability, right? When Philip Grubauer's on his game and healthy plays fantastic. And I really love Pavel Francois. I think this guy is really solid goaltender who's coming into his own. And I think he got thrown under the bus a bit in the bubble because he had some injuries late that people didn't know about that he tried to play through. And it's a tall task for goal, especially a rookie in the league, even though he's older, it's not easy to do. So man, well-rounded teams. There's not much for a weakness on
2: either Colorado or St. Louis or, or Van, or VGK. Take your pick. All three of those. The, the strange part about the West for me is it's not the best division top to bottom, but it's the most top heavy division in the entire league and it's going to be the toughest to win. Yeah, it's pointy for sure. I mean it's uh, you
0: know, you were talking about the other day on the on one of our shows that it is kind of turned already turned into haves and have nots. And you know, I don't think it's gonna necessarily be like that by the end of the year. I really like what Anaheim's doing. If they could find some scoring, this is a team that's playing pretty good defense now. And Gibson and Miller are playing well, and you know, even LA goes in spurts too. We're still early, but you're right. Like, I mean, all roads to the Stanley Cup are gonna lead through. Colorado, St. Louis and Vegas out in the West for sure. And, um, you know, it may not have as much intrigue as the Canadian division, which is just so cool for hockey fans in general, even us Yanks like me from St. Louis, but, (laughs) um, yeah, it's those, those balanced those teams in those
2: divisions are a little more balanced. I'd say than the West at this point, at least. It's a shame that one of those three teams is going to be out after the first round of the postseason. I know they're not going to change the format now, but you know, we can always dream. Well, if you want to win, you got to beat the best teams. That's the bottom line to
0: me, you know, and I think that you can't you can't even worry about who you're facing. I hear that all the time. Well, we want to have the best route to the finals. Well, all right. You know what? Teams are good at different points. I've seen teams that squeak in. LA Kings squeaked into the playoffs yeah. the first year that they won the Stanley Cup. And guess what? They squeaked in because they were playing a hell of a, t- a team game leading up to it and were on a roll. They peaked at the right time. So... You want to win. You got to beat the best teams. Play the hand you're dealt. Let the chips fall. Yeah, they were the eighth seed that year, weren't they?
2: Out west. Yeah. Yeah. They. they... And I
0: believe they got in either last day or day before into the playoffs.
2: Yeah. And I. I, yep. I know they played Vancouver. I think fired that... their
0: coach midway through. They had uh, Terry Murray as their coach midway through the season. Fired him. Daryl Sutter comes in.
2: Yeah. It's, inter- Wild stuff. it's interesting where I'm located. I'm closer to Anaheim than I am to L.A., but my goodness, do you hear it going back and forth a lot of the time. And that speaks to what you were talking about with the expansion of hockey, especially out here on the West Coast. You know, everybody, you can go out there on the Believe Podcast Network and check out Six Degrees of Mike McKenna. He's a host on this network also. That's Synergy. We we call that it Synergy. Is.
0: I love the crossover.
2: <laughs> Listen to episode 47 in particular. He sat down and talked to... Former Avs goaltender Peter Budai. I, I love when players talk about their equipment and how passionate they, they get about their pads, especially. Uh, that was that was little, that was was fun to, to talk to. Good to hear from him uh, after a few years.
0: Oh, Pete was awesome. And Peter is, Peter is more intense than I realized. You know, we've crossed paths before and said hi at the red line, but we never really had a sit-down conversation like we did. And I, I thought his perspective, especially coming into the avalanche when he did, Patrick was still there. Shares a stall next to him in training camp. I won't give all the details away. You'll have to listen to episode forty-seven to hear everything about it. Um, but talking about Joe Sakic's release and just being part of something like that and and building to it like he did, a couple of years in the minors, and and really like living the American dream. You know, he grew up in communist Czechoslovakia, that's now Slovakia, uh, where he's from and left home early and now he's happy as can be in America. Always wanted to come here and he's living in the Phoenix area now. So super interesting guy played some good minutes for the Colorado Avalanche and somebody always root for
2: Mike McKenna from AT&T sports net Rocky mountain. He's the Vegas golden Knights studio analyst, Mike, thanks so much for being here. And Hey, you know, hopefully we'll be able to see the abs and Knights take the ice uh, by, by the end of this week. And we'll, we'll see what happens. But again, thanks for coming on and talking a little bit about the team. Anytime, Eric. Thanks for having me. You know, Mike does a great job on those Vegas Golden Knights broadcasts. Hopefully, if you get a chance, if you have the NHL Center Ice Package, and you can watch those games out of market, go ahead and check him out with the Vegas Golden Knights. Listen to his podcast, too. I brought up that podcast that he did with Peter Budai the other day. That was fun to, to hear Peter's background. Again, I love hearing any type of players talk about the equipment they use when they're playing games because they're just so passionate about it. And it's almost like they're a kid in a candy store. So go ahead and check that out. You can listen on Spotify. Real quick check of the standings over in the Honda NHL West Division. Of course, we mentioned the Golden Knights leading the way right now. Same amount of points as Colorado, but they've done it in a couple less games. So they win by points percentage if the season were to wrap up today. St. Louis is also tied in points with 15. They've played one more game than the Avalanche have now at the time we recorded this show. So they will be the three-seed Anaheim. Ducks playing well. They've played the most amount of games in the division to this point. They've got 13 points, one ahead of Minnesota. Arizona has 11, San Jose with 9, and LA, 8 points. Still wide open, still a lot of games to go. But the top of the division trying to separate itself from the bottom. Ducks not allowing it to happen right now, so good on Anaheim. For doing what they can do. You're listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. Eric Pesolano with you here once again. Follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Pesolano. You can also follow the podcast at Believe in Avs. At B-L-E-A-V in Avs on Twitter. Remember the Twitter poll this week. Go ahead and vote on it. Who's got the best logo in the National Hockey League? We'll talk about your responses on the show Next week. Before we get out of here on a lighter note, I want to give a big congratulations out there to a guy who has been a thorn in the side of the Avalanche since he started playing in the NHL. That's Patrick Marlowe, who is now third all time in the NHL in games played. 1,734 at the time we recorded this episode. He just passed Jaromir Yager on the list. He's all by himself at number three. This is a guy who. Whenever you see number 12 flying around on that ice in that teal jersey, you know you're in trouble. It doesn't matter how old he is, right? We saw Tom Brady the other day. There's some guys who can just defeat father time for a while. Eventually he wins, but you can have a pretty good lead. And Patrick Marlowe's definitely one of those guys in the National Hockey League, always producing. Not at the level he used to in his prime, of course, on the back end of his career. But a guy that, no matter when you play the Sharks, you look up. You see number 12, and you know you got to go to work. You got to go to work that day because it's not just what he does physically, it's almost like having another coach on the ice that he's able to build up his teammates and let them know what's going on. You got as much experience as he does, you're in trouble. Doesn't matter how many minutes he plays. So, once again, congratulations. Patrick Marlowe, 1,734 games, number three all time in the history of the NHL. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Believe in Avalanche podcast. I just said it 12 seconds ago. I'm going to say it again. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Pesolano. It's the same handle over on Instagram. And go ahead and vote in our Twitter poll at Believe in Avs on Twitter at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. Vote in the poll. Give us a follow. More fun stuff for you coming up this week. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk about some more games when we come to you next Tuesday. Just got to hope everybody's safe out there and they are testing negative to come back to the ice. And we hope that not just the players are testing negative and staying safe. I hope the same for all of you out there listening as well. Hey, we'll talk to you next Tuesday. You've been listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Talk to you next week, everybody. Bye-bye.